Money laundering is a long-standing issue for financial institutions. A new and growing cleaning problem for them is credit washing. Jason Crowderville, head of public policy at Centrelink, is our guest to explain what credit washing is and the cost that it's imposing on the banking industry. Actionable insights can help power smart decisions. Each week, the BAI Banking Strategies podcast focuses on important issues facing financial services leaders, as well as the emerging trends that are rapidly reshaping the financial industry. I'm Terry Badger, your host and the managing editor at BAI. Pull up a chair and join us. In recent years, more and more Americans have walked away from their credit history through a maneuver known as credit washing. With us to talk about credit washing and the effects it's having on banks is Jason Craddeville, head of public policy at Centrelink. Jason, thanks for joining us on the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. Thank you so much, Terry. Great to be with you. So, Jason, I'm not that familiar with credit washing. So could you get our conversation going with an overview of what credit washing is? Yeah, sure. Happy to. And and to do that, you got to go back a few years. And that was when, back in the 90s, Congress recognized that victims of identity theft should have some tools at their disposal to protect themselves. They built into a law called the Fair Credit Reporting Act uh, the ability for a consumer to say, hey, you know what, listen, credit bureaus, financial institutions, I'm a victim of identity theft. Please take steps to help protect me. You've got that consumer right that's been out there for quite a while. Well, Clever fraudsters have recognized that it's not too hard to game the system. And by falsely asserting, either on behalf of another consumer or the consumer doing it directly themselves, for a variety of reasons that we can get into later, that, hey, look, I'm a victim of identity theft, even though you're really not, you can still take advantage of that consumer protection law that I mentioned a moment ago and have potentially, say, a delinquent credit card debt that for whatever reason you don't feel like paying anymore, you don't want it impacting your credit, suppressed from appearing on your credit score and impacting your credit score. It is certainly a problem that is increasing in in size and is becoming very, very costly for financial institutions. And it's also a problem for the people that are actually victims of identity theft as well. So is this, for financial institutions, is it a an emerging issue, a new kind of issue? And if that's the case, what happened to make this something that banks and credit unions need to worry about now? It is definitely a newer trend. And you can look back, there, there was a moment in time when something did change. In 2017, the FTC made a decision, no longer will a police report be something that is required when you are asserting your rights and saying, hey, I'm a victim of identity theft. So prior to that time in 2017, it was required that the person would need to go to a police station, file a police report, and then provide that police report when they were disputing a potentially fraudulent trade line on their credit report. 2017, FTC said, you know what, we want to minimize friction for victims, so they dropped that requirement. Without that little bit of friction in the way, it allowed people who wanted to, for lack of a better way to describe it, game the system and take advantage of that to do so in very large scale. And and when you look at the data after that time in 2017, these reports of disputes of identity theft, it's like a, a hockey stick shaped spike. Very, very dramatic. So that it was really at that point when it really took off. So all of us worry to some degree about identity theft, given how widespread it's gotten and how complex and how how frustrating it is to fix your credit report after that's happened to you. 
That said, you know, what you're talking about with credit washing, should we be thinking about the no police report needed change as perhaps allowing the pendulum to swing too far the other way by making it too easy or too risk-free to claim identity theft? It's pretty clear that in the laws of unintended consequences have certainly kicked in. Obviously, the idea of removing that requirement for a police report was well-intentioned. Unfortunately, that that change really did kind of open the floodgates to these fraudulent claims of identity theft. And the challenge, of course, is what's the right approach to figuring out what to do now? How do you bring a little bit more balance back to this while finding ways to effectively prevent abuse of the system while also ensuring that legitimate victims can exercise their rights as Congress intended? If I'm a person with some problems on my credit report, and assuming I haven't paid all that close attention to changes in the Fair Credit Reporting Act, how would I know about trying to wash my credit? Terry, it's shockingly easy to figure it out. And I have spent some time going down some dark rabbit holes on the internet, and it really does not take a lot of internet sleuthing to find entire websites dedicated to showing you how to do it. Even YouTube videos. There are some pretty extensive YouTube channels with robust followings of people just explaining how to do what we're talking about today. It's pretty remarkable, to say the least. You say anybody could just go online and type in some Google terms. That strikes me as kind of a slow and inefficient way for word to spread through the world. Opportunities to exploit the rules tend to get discovered. So do we have organized groups that have figured this out too and have found ways to make money from it? It's truly remarkable, and I'm really not exaggerating when I say that there are entire industries that popped up not only to make the dispute process easier, but the other side to it that's probably worth mentioning is, unfortunately, a lot of the times credit washing takes on the veneer of credit repair. And that's a real challenge because there are obviously many very legitimate credit repair organizations that really work to help consumers who have run into trouble with their credit. But One that we've seen pretty extensively, the window dressing of credit repair that is actually just credit washing and getting people to probably pay fees. And then these firms will dispute and claim identity theft on the person's behalf. So again, I'm the person with credit trouble and I Google a term like, how do I get rid of my bad credit score? I get a hit with Jason, the credit fixer, Jason, the credit repair man. So I call you to be my solution provider because you know the angle, because you know what's going on in the, in the industry here. Your plan is to claim that I'm an identity theft victim. Do I, as the customer, know up front that you're going to file an identity theft claim in my name? You have to know what you're looking for. You would have to be an educated consumer to do that. I've seen a good number of what these dispute process outcomes and letters look like. You would have to understand inside some legalese, you know, I am asserting my rights under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, Section 605B. You have to have some understanding of the statutes that provide these rights to consumers. If you just read the letter itself, you wouldn't understand what's happening. It's technically there, but I think for the average person who's not intimately familiar with the law, they wouldn't understand exactly what's happening. What sense do you get as to how widespread credit washing is. I mean, you you mentioned earlier in our conversation about a hockey stick shaped curve here, but I don't know from what sort of base we're talking about. And what sorts of challenges is this presenting for the banking industry now? If you think about it, fundamentally, the problem with credit washing from a financial institution's perspective is it distorts that institution's ability to price for risk. 
Anytime you and I as consumers, if we're applying for a credit card, a car loan, a mortgage, the lender that we're talking to is relying on an accurate credit history to determine what rates and terms you and I would qualify for. Credit washing, if you think about what we've been talking about, it completely distorts that. So if I am that person who is delinquent on my credit card bill, I see my credit score tanking, I decide to wash my credit of that bad credit card account that has dropped my credit score to subprime, and now all of a sudden I've washed it, I go to apply for a new car loan, and suddenly I look like a pretty decent credit risk, right? Maybe I'm a 650, 700, not perfect, but not awful, and maybe I'm going to be able to get credit that I otherwise wouldn't qualify for. That's really the most significant problem for financial institutions. The second issue that is, I think it's really worth mentioning is, and I've talked to a number of banks who are, are really feeling this, is the human resource drain. Every single one of the disputes or claims of identity theft that whether it's a credit bureau or a lender receives, those have to, according to the law, be investigated. And we're not talking mega banks, we're talking just like mid-sized regional financial institutions can see thousands of these disputes a month. And they all have to be processed, they all have to be investigated, due diligence has to be performed. Sometimes that involves direct outreach to consumers, but in any case, there are statutory requirements and deadlines that kick in once an institution or a credit bureau receives that dispute. There's the financial side and the risk side to what happens to a bank's ability to price for risk, and then also just the resource drain that takes place when you're dealing with thousands and thousands of these having to be processed every month. I get that a person who is falsely claimed to be an identity theft victim may be able to borrow more money for, say, a, a car than they might otherwise, or they might be able to borrow that money on better terms. But are they also not paying off that new car loan? So what develops is a cycle playing out of lying, borrowing, defaulting, then lying again, then borrowing again. I mean, are banks eating losses as a result of this? It's absolutely a cycle. It's wash, rinse, and repeat. That's the point of it. The first time you dispute something, you're really not credit washing. Where it becomes a problem is the second time you go back. First time you claim, hey, I'm a victim of identity theft, okay, that triggers something. But then it's leveraging what you've just done when the cycle then starts to move forward. Because you've disputed a trade line with bank A, now you go to bank B and you get another loan. And then that cycle can just keep perpetuating itself. And I'm going to throw another wrinkle at you with regards to this cycle. We spend a lot of time at Centrelink thinking about, and that's synthetic identity fraud. And just as a very, very quick aside, it's, it's the idea of a completely fictitious credit history made up for the purposes of getting credit. And what we've seen is, so you've got a person who has created a synthetic identity, fictitious name, date of birth, social security number, and that has generated a credit report. They then, through authorized user trade lines or things like that, have built up a credit history. They then use that synthetic identity to apply for and receive credit. Then, of course, you know they leverage that credit. They max it out. They don't pay it off. That goes delinquent. And then we've seen as the next step in the cycle, the person disputing identity theft for the fake synthetic identity. So now you've got claims of identity theft for an identity that doesn't actually exist. So, I mean, it, it really is a cycle that can take on different permutations, both with legitimate people doing it to just continually 
game the system and get out of their obligations and get more credit and synthetic identities being able to do it to accomplish the same thing and continue to get more credit. Contrary to my earlier scenario, you in real life, Jason, of course, are not a shady operator making false claims about identity theft. You're on the solution side of this. What can banks do to try to counter the growth in credit washing? You know, Terry, I mean, the reality is it's challenging for one specific individual institution to solve it. And the reason for that is, I mean, you think about the scenarios that that you and I have been talking about. Credit washing involves more than one financial institution. There is the first institution that has, we'll just use this as an example, the credit card account that has gone delinquent that the consumer wishes to wash off of their credit. Once they've accomplished that, then they can't go back to that same institution, right? Because that institution is going to know, hang on, we're not going to lend you more things. We already know that you're delinquent on the account that you have with us. So naturally, that means they have to go to another institution to apply for credit. That second institution won't be able to see what's going on at the first institution, just as the first institution doesn't know that the consumer is now trying to get credit at the second institution. So fundamentally, what I'm touching on is the key challenge with all of this is the system is not designed, and by the system, I mean the credit reporting system generally, is not designed to allow a single bank a holistic view of what's going on around it. So that first bank with the credit card account can see what's happening within its own four walls, but it doesn't know what's happening somewhere else. And that makes the challenge of spotting credit washing much more difficult. And fundamentally, what you need to do is spot patterns. And without that view outside of the single institution, it's very, very challenging. A critical thing that banks are constantly thinking about is they want to make sure that legitimate victims of identity theft are not getting caught up as they're trying to spot and investigate credit washing. And that's why looking for patterns is so critical and how that limiting factor that I was talking about is is so important when a bank needs to be able to say, hey, look, is this person demonstrating certain patterns and behaviors? Have they disputed with us many, many times? Are there other characteristics in what they're doing that are indicative of credit washing? You know, are they quickly requesting credit line increases? Are they quickly running up those balances and maxing them out? A single institution can start to put together a picture that gives them the confidence to say, okay, I think what I'm seeing here is credit washing and not a legitimate victim of identity theft. Because banks definitely don't want to be in the business of second-guessing a legitimate victim. But it is definitely a challenge for institutions to be able to filter out legitimate victims from credit washers. But given the importance of the legitimate identity theft victims, being able to really get their, their recourse, being able to get their process and not have everything gummed up by all of these false claims, is it time to get Congress involved here, maybe to revisit the Fair Credit Reporting Act for that, and also maybe to look at the police report issue as well. The idea for Congress being that we meant it to be a good thing by making it easier to report ID theft, as you said, these unintended consequences, we made it too easy. And in doing so, we encouraged large-scale fraudulent behavior. Do you think that could happen? And even if it did, would that be much of a fix now? Could we put the genie back in the bottle? I'd say the ball's in FTC's court. They made this decision in 2017. I think there would be a tremendous 
enthusiasm on the financial institution side and folks like us who are trying to find elegant solutions here that thread that needle from ensuring identity theft victims can exercise their rights versus keeping enough friction in place to dissuade people who want to credit wash from doing so. I think that's the first way I would answer that question is to say, if the FTC would be willing, I think they'd have a very receptive audience, both from the industry and from, I'm sure, consumer advocates to find a way to ensure that victims are protected and fraudsters are prevented from gaming the system. The second thing I'd say is whether it's the Fair Credit Reporting Act or, you know, there's statutes on the books specific to credit repair that haven't been touched or really looked at in decades by Congress. You look at how scams like what we're talking about, credit washing, have evolved due to circumstances. I think you could legitimately make the case that it's probably overdue for Congress to start paying attention to the laws that are currently on the books and and how they're being taken advantage of by the modern ecosystem today. Maybe as the extent of credit washing and its impacts becomes better defined, that will create an impetus for lawmakers or agencies to address the issue. So Jason Cradiville, head of public policy at Centrelink, many thanks again for sharing your perspectives with us on the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. Thank you, Terry. Really enjoyed it. A few takeaways from the conversation with Centrelink's Jason Cradiville. First, he points to an FTC decision in 2017 as being the catalyst for the sharp upswing in credit washing cases. That decision to no longer require police reports to claim identity theft was intended to make it easier to file claims, but in Jason's view, it became too easy to game the system. He says the easier rules have spawned a lucrative industry in which credit washing often masquerades as legitimate credit repair. For financial institutions, there are several ways that the increase in credit washing can hurt their bottom lines. One is that organized groups are getting credit from banks and then falsely claiming identity theft to walk away from the debt. Another, Jason says, is the operational cost of investigating identity theft claims. And a third is that credit washing makes it harder for banks to price credit risk when they're lending. And finally, what can be done about credit washing now that it's established? Jason says that's a big challenge. Federal rules make it hard for any one institution to do much, he says, because credit washers don't hit the same bank twice and because there are limits on information sharing between banks. He says institutions should look for patterns in customer behavior that can help identify potential credit washers. Thank you for listening to the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. I'm Terry Badger, Managing Editor at BAI. Please visit us at BAI.org for more actionable insights on themes that are important for the financial services industry.